0: check 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 mic check mic check let's talk about some ladies that was beautiful ladies oh that was even more beautiful that's about as low as my voice can go <laughs> it's like did I even hear anything that was like on a different um, that's lane, as quiet as I've ever existence.
1: heard you la 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 I'm snarky man <laughs> Wait, what did you say? <laughs> yeah. What did this bitch say? I said, that's as quiet as I've ever heard you.
0: Well, well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's not shady if it's true. Ow. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch?
1: I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh,
0: yes. It's naughty to ruse your lip. Shake your shoulders, shake your gifts, and let a lady confess I wanna be
1: there. I didn't kid you, did I? Well now you know. Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Hey
0: everybody. Welcome I'm to Hannah. another week. Oh. You're Hannah. <laughs> Who are you? Uh why are you in my house? I am Deanna, named after Deanna Troy, as I oh fuck, as I told our barista this morning when she was trying to figure out how to spell my name and said Deanna as in Deanna Troy and I said actually yes (laughs) one literally like Deanna Troy because that's who I was named after and she about pissed her pants
1: and now our dear listeners will never forget
0: that I was named after a Star Trek character so it was it was fated for me to be a big fucking dork Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) yes what do we talk about on this podcast? We talk
0: about ladies, Hannah. Yeah? Not just any ladies. Oh. Although, actually, kind of, yeah. Any ladies. <laughs> any Not, ladies. Ladies who, who did some shit in history or today. Mm-hmm. Ladies who we feel are noteworthy and that you need to to learn the fuck about. And we feel really glad to talk the fuck about them and tell you the fuck about them. Because they're fucking cool.
1: Yeah. Even when they're problematic. I was going to say, at some point, one of us will do like a serial killer or something. And that's fine.
0: Yeah. I mean, anyway, it's another deliriously hot recording episode. Mm -hmm. Hannah and I, because we have to turn the AC off because it makes too much noise when we tape, we are currently sitting on ice packs and it is probably the most genius idea I've ever had. Yeah. It was really smart. Yeah. Yeah. It feels nice. It's hard. Yeah. But you know.
1: But it won't be once they start to melt
0: under I our butt. I think butts. it's already started melting because I feel like there's like divots where my butt cheeks are Yeah. already.
1: I think mine's okay for now. Well, you weigh less than I do. I mean, I'm also just like generally I think I run cooler
0: or something. Well, that's because you, you can handle heat better than my German ass. Yeah. Blech. Yeah. <laughs> too sweaty too fast. Uh.
1: So. Anyway, welcome to yeah. another week
0: of your favorite... Delirious podcast. Indeed. Blah, 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 blah. Welcome. Um, what what do you have for me today? You're going to read me something? No, you're going to read me something. No. Huh? Are you going to do the Hitler story? Oh,
1: oh my God. My brain.
0: Whoa. Oh, you we guys. We do have an introductory thing to do. You
1: guys, I forgot about intros. Um, and i literally just went and found this article like 2 seconds ago so i should have remembered okay i do i have um i have an article that i found again someone tweeted it thank you twitter um thank you twitter Bye. a snippet of an article and this feels very pertinent a because we're doing july as like Women um, who resisted. Women who resisted. And we're also, we've been talking a lot in the media about civility and should restaurant owners be allowed to kick, you know, people they, government officials they disagree with out of their restaurants. Not just
0: disagree with, feel persecuted Ugh. by.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the main difference, everyone. Yeah. Um. Obviously, Uh. whatever, that conversation is kind of ridiculous and old, but it, what I found really interesting was, um, we've had similar discussions in the past, especially during
0: Hitler's time. The reign of the the third Reich, (gasps) right?
1: Yes. So, uh, so I found, I found this thing and I decided I wanted to read it to you. So, um, I don't remember, shit, what year is this from? I think it's 1942 or three or something. And the headline is Studios and Cabaret Bar, Bar Hitler's Girlfriend. Um, and so the article is, uh, let's see, from the United Press. And it's Hollywood, December 1, December 1st. Laney Riefenstahl, I hope I'm saying that right. Riefenstahl. But I guess I don't care. You're the one who
0: took German. Ugh.
1: Well, Riefenstahl, yeah. Riefenstahl, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leni Riefenstahl, one of Nazi Germany's foremost motion picture experts, and often reported a, quote, girlfriend of Adolf Hitler, left the film capital today, i.e. Hollywood, after having been snubbed by studios and stars. So
0: those Hollywood elites have always been... Oh, those Hollywood liberal. elites. <laughs> uh,
1: her manager, Ernest Jaeger, said the, uh, sorry, the scan is a little funky. Oh, said she came here from Germany quote, only for the scenery. That apparently was all she was going to see. Uh-huh. <laughs> One nightclub had, quote, no accommodations for her party. <laughs> <laughs> One studio barred its doors to her, and several others let it be known that she was unwelcome. The German consul, Dr. Georg, oh, sorry, the scan is cut off a little bit, denied he had sought to get her into the studios and had been rebuffed. One major producer, 20th Century Fox, said she would be welcomed as any other distinguished, vi- distinguished visitor, but only if the consulate requested it. Um, and apparently they didn't. Miss Riefenstahl had been hurt by the anti-Nazi League's full-page denunciation in the trade journals. She spent most of the two days she, uh, two days here denying she was Hitler's girlfriend or an agent of the
0: Reich. Even though she said she was Hitler's girlfriend in Germany?
1: I think, yeah, I think either it was speculated that she was Hitler's girlfriend or she'd said it. Um, The, quote, no welcome sign was out to her at Universal Studio, which employed her in a role in S.O.S. Iceberg filmed in Greenland five years ago. A spokesman for Warner Brothers said.
0: (laughs) You just said Greenland and spokesman.
1: God, I did, didn't I? Instead
0: of Greenland and spokesman. Oh, my God. You're in a a reading zone. (laughs) Woo.
1: Uh, a spokesman folks- <laughs> was- <laughs> for Warner Brothers brothers, brothers, said that a request had been made for her to tour its studio and that it had been turned down. Oh, no. Oh, no. How sad.
0: Woo-hoo. Maybe you shouldn't be a Nazi.
1: Yeah, don't be affiliated with Nazis, and then we won't have to snub you. Other studios reported that any requests for a tour for her would not be honored. Uh, Phil Selznick, owner of a popular nightclub, said he had refused reservations for a party of 12 when he learned that Miss Riefenstahl was to be the guest of honor. Whoops. Yep. Uh, The anti-Nazi league, whose denunciation of Vittorio Mussolini, son of Il Duce, whatever, during a visit two years ago resulted in his being picketed. Uh, They led the attacks on Miss Riefenstahl. They say attacks in this article as if...
0: They were she's physical? Being physically attacked, which she's physically not. Physically assaulted? No, no. Um, they were just uh, verbal attacks? Not even really. Just not even. They were snubs. just...
1: Yeah, they were they were snubbing her. And they had every right to do so.
0: I think. Yep. Anyway.
1: Um, yep. What I found interesting is another article I found says, Walt Disney was the only studio head to I receive saw that Reef too, Stall.
0: Which is not surprising.
1: Nah, but Still. He gave her a tour of his studio and showed her his sketches for his upcoming Fantasia. Riefenstahl held a private screening of her latest work, Olympia, a documentary on the 1936 Olympics.
0: Well, I mean, because there's like really strong evidence to sh- that Disney was a noted anti-Semite, right? Uh,
1: yes. Ugh. Yeah. I sh- Maybe I should have looked up some articles on that specifically, but yeah, I've, I've heard that.
0: Yeah, I mean, whatever.
1: Um, I also found this interesting in that same article. It says, when Riefenstahl was honored in 1974 at the Telluride Film Festival, she provoked an anti-Nazi demonstration. In Colorado. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> she made her directorial debut in 1932 with The Blue Light, in which she also starred and which became the definitive mountain film.
0: It was this film that
1: brought her to Hitler's attention as a filmmaker.
0: I mean, that's interesting that she was a female filmmaker at yeah. that time, because that wasn't very common. But yeah. yeah, no, exactly. Everybody has the right to be like, oh, and it's amazing that it's it's literally the same today to be like, oh, you're a Nazi sympathizer? Bye.
1: Well, and the the thing Which- that's so fucking weird about about it all is we can look back
0: at the Nazis
1: and what happened as we are on the right side of history, right? Like we... At the very least, yes, we waited too long to get into the war, but we got into the war and we, you know, helped liberate blah, 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 blah. Okay, we can see that from from this distance. But the Nazis didn't think they were villains either. Of course they didn't. They didn't think that they were bad guys and they thought that all the shit that they were pulling against Jews and people of color and gay and lesbians and blah, 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 blah. They thought that was fine. They thought they were saving the fucking world.
0: It was for the greater good, and it and was protecting what, German interests. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's what people think right now as they commit atrocities in the name of the American people. America first. America first, make America great again, blah, blah, blah. Maga. And somehow when we do the same things now,
0: it's you no. lack
1: civility, blah, blah, blah. But, you know.
0: Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck, fuck because fascism. Because I don't want to be on fascism the wrong side of history. Exactly. What that Stephen Colbert tweet? He was like, "People who are on the right side of history never had to nitpick what the definition of a cage is."
1: Oh, so good. And that was
0: great. And then also <gasps> that article where the headline was like, "One of the the higher ups in ICE or or something like that said that that there, you shouldn't compare ICE to the Nazis because they're just uh, doing their jobs and be and and being given orders." And I'm like, "That's I, what the Nazis did." That's that's literally what that's that's the Nuremberg defense. That. Oh.
1: My God.
0: The blindness to history is... is really
1: upsetting, because it upsetting means we're it. Um,
0: anyway. Anyway. I think that's a great article, and I think it's super, super, super pertinent to today. Yeah. Fascinatingly. Yeah. And horrifyingly. Yeah. Fuck you. If you think that... <laughs> well, because you were saying you were listening to Pantsuit Politics, right? And the definition yeah. of civility is not... It's not politeness. Yeah. Like civil dissent... Is civility. Exactly. Disagreeing on things, like, in a peaceful way. Like, peaceful protest is civil. Mm-hmm. That's what it is.
1: Yeah. And and asking Debating
0: ethical if, questions is civil.
1: Asking someone politely to leave your restaurant because you disagree with what they're doing in, in the country you live in is a, a civil vo- form of protest.
0: Right. It it's is. It's not like they
1: kicked her ass and forced no. her out physically. They didn't throw feces at the restaurant, which apparently some Republican went and did after the fact. Trump supporter? Uh, nah. Because
0: <laughs> not all Republicans are Trump supporters, and I guess blah, 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 But in the, the GOP is fucked these days. Like, fuck all of you and your spineless bullshit. You were yeah. all complicit in fascism, yeah. which is so anti-American, it's insane.
1: Honestly, if you do want to hear like a a true
0: Republican, like
1: somebody who is conservative in the in the real sense, not the, you know, I want to deport all immigrants sense. um, Go listen to Pansuit Politics because their their episode, their episodes recently have been really, really smart and intelligent um, dissections of what's going on. Right. And it's two people from the left, one one from the left and one from the right. And yeah. you know, two women, right? Two women, yeah. And so, if you if you get sick of um, Pod Save America, which I love that podcast, but they get really bro-y sometimes. So if you they do, and they get really outraged and blah blah blah. But Pansy it's politics, great.
0: No, they're great. But at the same time, yeah. They, Th- there was that that I got really pissed off at Pod Save America, which I love, but there was that uh, after the Michelle Wolf thing, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Oh yeah, I had to look up what a smoky I was to even get the joke," and I was like, "You guys are grown men." The name Smoky Eye already implies what it fucking is. It looks like, it's like gray tones, yeah. smoky eyes.
1: Yeah, whatever. The thing, the other thing I like about Pantsuit Politics is they understand that not, Pod Save America guys, they kind of go with the assumption that everybody already knows what they're talking about, Like, yeah. and the Pantsuit Politics women kind of dive into definitions of things sure. and the backgrounds of things. So anyway, I know this is kind of a weird, I don't know, random plug, but I love them. And I think if you want to know what's going on in a way that doesn't cause you a lot of anxiety and outrage, they're a good podcast to listen to.
0: Same with, like another minor plug here. I don't know if I've talked about this one, but Civics 101 mm. is a really great podcast. It's, it, it each episode is really short, but it's basically a podcast that um, gives, it's like a, a remedial class on the basics of democracy. Oh, because they're, you know, and in the context of what's that, like they talk about, you know, ICE and how long it's been around. They talk about the the Freedom of Information Act, how long that's been around, blah, blah, blah. And it's just really fascinating. and or, you know, they'll talk about um the the judicial branch of the government, blah, blah, blah. It's yeah. it, but it's like really easily digestible. it's it's I not it's not politically charged, although i I mean, it's very obvious that it's slightly left leaning. I mean not really. It cuz they all they're pointing out is that how it, they started it because they're like this is very unusual what's happening right now and so we want to give people the basics of why this is unusual. Yeah. And give you some sort of context. I love that. For for why Donald Trump's presidency is is breaking with the norms of democracy and how it could be a, you know, yeah. a slide into fascism.
1: Yeah. I I really like that, especially just because like I think people get really overwhelmed and they go, I don't know how to help. I don't know how to fix this. There's a lot of information coming at me. And to have to have background on things and to kind of have definitions of things rather than just like kind of blind rage
0: yeah. from people well, who know what's going on. Right. And, you know, again, a lot of times people assume that just because we're adults, we're supposed to know exactly how government works when clearly the majority of us don't. So it's a very judgmental, free, like. Hey do you know how the FBI started and why it's important and what you know what they do and that they're not political and la, 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 la. I'm have to look at that yeah no it's great yeah. um I'm behind a, a number of episodes at the moment but um I get overwhelmed because Pod Save America releases twice a week so I'm like yeah I kind of went off kilter there but <laughs> yeah but I think it's important and I'm I like that you found that because again it's an example of how history repeats itself and we need to learn lessons from how humankind has a really hard time learning lessons from the past and and yeah. not thinking oh this is going to be terrible
1: yeah and we don't we don't see it we yeah. just don't we just don't see it yeah some of us do
0: <laughs> i mean don't. but sometimes in the moment we don't it was exactly. like the uh, at the protest a couple weeks ago um, when we were there, and we saw somebody who was loudly handing out communist newspapers and saying how we need communism in America, and ooh, I was like, "Yeah, I was like, ooh, like unadulterated communism is just as bad to me as unadulterated capitalism, and we need to find a healthy balance." Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's just my personal opinion. I mean, I'm I'm willing to listen to both sides of that because I don't yeah. think capitalism, when it's regulated, is inherently evil, and I don't. But like communism in its purest form, every single time it's been implemented in history has not gone well and it becomes easily corruptible. Yeah. It, it, it's the same with yeah. capitalism. Capitalism is super easily corruptible. Oh, God, as we're seeing.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway.
0: Awesome. Are you ready to hear about the lady this week that I have brought for you?
1: Yes.
0: Oh, fuck yes. Continuing with the theme of women who resisted, mm-hmm. which um, it kind of fits super perfectly. This is all. This is. Somebody who I've wanted to do since the inception of this Yay. podcast and somebody I wanted to do for Pride Month as well. But she also it's like she fits a whole myriad of categories. Uh, yeah. um, basically, she resisted in, in a number of ways, but as you will see. Um, but today I am going to talk to you about the wonderful, incredible Josephine Baker. Oh, my God. Okay. She was
1: somebody who was on my list mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm so glad I almost picked her. I'm so glad that I didn't know
0: this week. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so funny yeah. because she was, she's was, on, I literally emailed about her both times during pride month to Ben to be like, I want to do her or her. And then Ben would be like, maybe her. But so then yeah. I finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, oh she, God. she fits both of these categories. She's, She's amazing. Yeah. I've always been obsessed with her and learning more about her life has made me even more obsessed with her. Josephine Baker was born Frida Josephine McDonald in St. Louis, Missouri. Her mother, Carrie, was adopted in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1886 by Richard and Elvira McDonald. Her mother, Carrie, was adopted in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1886 by Richard and Elvira McDonald. Elvira, that's so fucking cool. That
1: is such a good name.
0: (laughs) Both of whom were former slaves of African and Native American descent. Wow. Yep. Uh, Josephine Baker's estate identifies vaudeville drummer Eddie Carson as her natural father, but Baker's foster son Jean-Claude wrote a biography published in 1993. Uh, it's called Josephine the Hungry Heart, in case anybody's interested. He did an exhaustive amount of research into her life, and the book um, has a topic in which he discusses the circumstances surrounding Josephine Baker's birth. Um, oh, yeah. So I have a quote from this. Most of my information came from Wikipedia, Biography.com, Pink News, Al Jazeera, and Women'sHistory.org. Mm. There's a lot, a lot of sources on this one. Fuck yeah! So, from his book, quote: "The records of the city of St. Louis tell an almost unbelievable story. They show that Carrie was admitted to the exclusively white female hospital in uh, on May 3rd, 1906, diagnosed as pregnant. <laughs> she was discharged on June 17th." Her baby, Frida J. McDonald, having been born two weeks earlier. Why six weeks in the hospital? Especially for a black woman of that time who would customarily have had her baby at home with the help of a midwife. Obviously, there had been complications with the pregnancy, but Carrie's chart reveals no details. Mm -hmm. The father was identified on her birth certificate simply as EDW. I think Josephine's father was white. So did Josephine. So did her family. People in St. Louis say that Baker's mother had worked for a German family around the time she became pregnant. He's the one who must have got her into that exclusively, almost exclusively white hospital and paid to keep her there all those weeks. Also, her baby's birth was registered by the head of the hospital at a time when most black births were not registered. I've unraveled many mysteries associated with Josephine Baker, but the most painful mystery of her life, the mystery of her father's identity, I could not solve. The secret died with Carrie who refused, to the end, to talk about it. She let people think Eddie Carson was Josephine's father, and Carson played along, but Josephine knew better.
1: Whoa.
0: Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's, like, so fascinating to me, that there's, like, a whole... Yeah, it's really... ...mystery around her father. Have you ever read...
1: Sorry, just to uh-huh. randomly interrupt you. Um, Boy Snow Bird by Helen Oyeyemi. It's really good, and it's, it's sort of like a retelling of the Snow White, Is it Snow White? Yeah, Snow White myth, Um, fairy tale, sorry, but with a look at, like, race and gender in the 1960s, I believe, Mm -hmm. and, like, what it meant to be white passing and how that worked and how people, you know, how people got away with that or didn't get away with that. And um, it's really, it's just, it's really, really good. So, for anyone who is interested in that. I am interested in that. Yeah. It just made me think of that. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Let's continue. Yeah. Don't feel bad. Okay. You have a look on your face. Like okay. You, that was, like, that's okay. a relevant interjection. I interrupted. Okay. It's a relevant <laughs> interjection. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So, Carrie McDonald and Eddie Carson, her supposed father, had a uh, song and dance act playing wherever they could get work. When Josephine was about a year old, they began to carry her on stage occasionally during their finale. Oh. She was further exposed to show business at an early age because her childhood neighborhood was home to many vaudevillian theaters that doubled as movie houses.
1: Oh, cool.
0: Um, she lived her early life in the Mill Creek Valley neighborhood of St. Louis, which was a racially mixed, low-income neighborhood near Union Station, consisting mainly of rooming houses, brothels, and apartments with no indoor plumbing. Oh. Josephine was always poorly dressed and hungry as a child and developed street smarts playing in the railroads, uh, railroad yards of Union Station. She had very little formal education, and she attended Lincoln Elementary School through the fifth grade. Okay.
1: Whoa, that was like it?
0: Sort of. Okay. Um, Josephine's mother then soon married a kind but perpetually unemployed man, Arthur Martin, with whom she had a son, Arthur, and two more daughters, Marguerite and Willie. She took in laundry to wash to make ends meet. And at eight years old, Josephine began working as a live-in domestic for white families in St. Louis. Eight years old.
1: Oh my God. God,
0: <laughs> uh, a live-in
1: domestic at eight? Like, what are you doing that, at eight years that's old? That's insane.
0: Yeah. Um, one of her families, that one of the women in the family she worked for abused her. She made her sleep in the cellar with the pet dog, oh, and God. she burned her hands when she'd put too much soap in the laundry one time. What? So by age twelve, she dropped out of school. Like she would go back and stop. And so she dropped out of school at age twelve. Oh my. God. which is, is nuts. I, and I thought that it was really important to to really specifically bring that up because I know that many of the women we talk about on this podcast uh, have had educations that were unparalleled for their time. Absolutely. And Josephine Baker wasn't particularly educated and still managed to be one of the most incredible women in history and did some really important stuff. So yeah. I thought that was important to mention that, you know, she was a, an amazingly brilliant woman and was not formally educated very much. I
1: love that. Right. I mean, I love that you're talking about that. Right. That it's, she
0: was- it's significant to yeah. point out. Yeah. Um, so at 13, she worked as a waitress at the Old Chauffeur's Club. She also lived as a street child in the slums of St. Louis, sleeping in cardboard shelters, scavenging for food and garbage cans, uh, making a living um, on the street corner dancing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was at the Old Show First Club where she first met Willie Wells and married him the same year at 13 years old.
1: I was, oh my,
0: oh, wow. Mm-hmm. 13 years old.
1: Oh boy. Wait. So she had, when she dropped out of school, did that also, that was also the time when she stopped being a domestic?
0: I assume so. You know? I mean, I like suffering the hands of the abuse that she did. That was my ice pack. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was the crash that I was
0: expecting from that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, God. no, I'm now going to get even more sweaty than I am. Ben, get it, uh, get uh, it. Thanks, Ben. So, yeah, no, she uh, she started, like, living on the street, I guess because, I mean, I wonder if it was easier for her to live on the street because her mom had a new husband and new kids and the house had no plumbing and was really, I assume, probably pretty small if it had no plumbing and was, like, a brothel-filled neighborhood. Um, and she
1: clearly could determine her own you know, activities. Right. And, and, you, and I
0: presume you could save more money if you didn't have to pay rent. Yeah. Or contribute to rent. I bet
1: dancing paid better, too.
0: Dancing and working as a waitress mm-hmm. and getting married. Uh, um, at 13. How, uh, at 13. Mm-hmm. God. However, her first marriage lasted less than a year. Yeah. No shit, because she was 13. She was a child bride. Following her divorce from Wells, she found work with a street performance group called Jones Family Band. In her teen years, she struggled to have a healthy relationship with her mother, who didn't want her to become an entertainer and scolded her for not tending enough to her second husband, yeah. Willie Baker, whom uh. she married in 1921 at age 15.
1: My God.
0: She's 15 years old and on her second husband. Two Willies? How- two Willies. Two and she had a sister named Willie, too, I guess. That's, <laughs> that's a very common name. Oh, God. Um, although she left Willie Baker when her vaudeville troupe was booked into a New York City venue and divorced him in 1925. Okay. It was during that time she began to see significant career success. And so she continued to use his last name professionally for the rest of her life.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Because mm-hmm.
0: that's right. when her career first started picking up and she started gaining some attention. Yeah. So it made sense. So people always knew who she was. Yeah. So- Back to that vaudeville troupe. She was recruited for the St. Louis Chorus vaudeville show at the age of 15. She headed to New York City during the Harlem Renaissance, performing at the Plantation Club. Whoa. Which is a weird name. And in the chorus lines of the groundbreaking and hugely successful Broadway review Shuffle Along, mm. which is something, a name of shows that's a show that still gets revived today. That's And it. What in is it? 1921. Wow. Yeah. All right. And in The Chocolate Dandies. Mm fascinating, oh my slightly weirdly fetishization yeah. of that. I took a sip of my beer as you said that, and I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. oh my God. Baker performed as the last dancer on the end of the chorus line, where her act was to perform in a comic manner, as if she were unable to remember the dance, <laughs> until the encore, at which point she would perform it not only correctly, with, but with additional complexity.
1: Oh my God, that is so, so she, vaudeville. Which
0: she was a comedian, <laughs> so she was a great dancer, but also she was fucking funny. Yeah. So people would utilize that. Oh, I love that. Um, She was billed at the time as the highest paid chorus girl in vaudeville. Whoa. Wait. At that time. Whoa. Which is fascinating. How old was she by now? Do you know? 1924. So she would have been like uh, 18. 18 or 19. (laughs) Whoa. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll accept Uh, it. Her career began with blackface comedy at local clubs, which was the, quote, entertainment that her mother disapproved of. Mm Mm-hmm. obvious reasons. Yeah. However, those performances landed Baker an opportunity to tour in Paris, which would become the place she called home until her final days.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Though she traveled, returned with gifts and money for her mother and younger half-sister, the turmoil with her mother pushed her to take her first trip to France. She sailed to Paris and opened in La Revue Negre, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Black Review, Mm -hmm. on the 2nd of October 1925, age 19, at the Théâtre des Champs-Élysées. Wow. In Paris, she became an instant success for her erotic dancing and for appearing practically nude on stage. I Hey, I think we could all be an, ex- <laughs> an
1: excess. Oh, my God. A success. An
0: excessful success. <laughs>
1: an excessful success. Uh,
0: after her successful tour of Europe, she broke her contract with her vaudeville troupe and the returned. The one in. The one in New York. Okay. And returned to France to star at the Folie Berger, uh, which set the standard for her future acts.
1: Did she know for? French by I mean you may not I know assume this, she didn't
0: but. know when she first went but yeah. I presume she learned because she lived in that France young. for the rest of her life yeah yeah
1: she probably picked it up
0: um, at the folie Berger Music Hall one of the most popular of the era uh, Baker's career would reach a major turning point in a performance called La Folie du jour she danced wearing little more than a skirt made of 16 bananas which was her <laughs> famous danse sauvage savage <laughs> dance. The show was wildly popular with Parisian audiences, and she soon became uh, the most popular and uh, highest paid performer. No, one of the most popular and highest paid performers in Europe, having the admiration of cultural figures like Pablo Picasso, Ernest Hemingway and E.E. E. Cummings, and earning herself nicknames like Black Venus and Black Pearl. She also received more than 1,000 marriage proposals. That's so many marriage proposals.
1: Oh, oh. <laughs> so oh i God. I'm, oh, I'm sure half of those were like in the mail. But still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And also, you know, she was, she was very popular. She uh, um, was capitalizing on her success as a, a dancer professionally for the first time in 1930. And several years later, landed several film roles. Mm. The money she earned from her performances and film roles soon allowed her to purchase an estate in the southwest of France. Oh, damn. Yep. She named the estate Les Milandes, which I looked up and doesn't really have a meaning. Oh. It's just what she named it, I guess. Okay. Um, and soon paid to move her family there from St. Louis.
1: Oh. All right. Yeah. Go you.
0: Go ahead, right. Josephine. Fun fact. A little tangent. In her later shows in Paris, she was often accompanied on stage by her pet Cheetah, whose name was Chiquita. Um Chiquita the Cheetah. Ch- yeah. Chiquita was adorned with a diamond collar. Oh,
1: as you do. Mm -hmm. I have one of those also for Chester, Uh the dumpster cat.
0: And frequently the cheetah would escape into the orchestra pit where she terrorized the musicians, (gasps) which added another element of excitement and comedy to the show. Oh my God. Isn't that insane? Yeah, that's bonkers. (laughs) Although I have learned that cheetahs only attack prey that runs. So cheetahs don't really attack unless you run from them and otherwise they're pets. Otherwise they're they're very nervous. actually they're super nervous like shy animals. Oh. A lot of cheetahs in zoos these days have support dogs to oh. keep them company. Isn't that Oh my god. I have to show oh you no. I have to show you a video of it because it's the cutest thing. They get they get therapy dogs to keep them from being too anxious.
1: I think you just ruined my life.
0: <laughs> but Chiquita had Josephine as a mommy. Oh my god. Actually throughout her entire life she also owned a chimpanzee, a parakeet, a snake, a pig, a goat, and many dogs.
1: She had very expensive and exotic animal tastes. Yes, yeah, she did. Okay.
0: She was, I mean, she was a character. She really loved being... She was a performer. Yeah. Being um, very unique. mm mm-hmm. um, At the start of her career in France, she met a Sicilian former stonemason who passed himself off as a count and persuaded her to let him be her manager. Okay, so he was a performer too. Yeah, but clearly. His name was Giuseppe Pepito Abatino. And he was not only her manager, but also her lover.
1: Giuseppe Appadino?
0: The two could not marry, though, because she was <laughs> still married to her second husband when they first met. Wally. Wait, Willie. Willie. Baker. <laughs> why, Willie, why? That must have been in the early 20s, I guess. Yeah. she divorced him in 1929. Anyway. Blah. Blah, blah. Blah, blah. Um, blah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hate yourself for that later, Benjamin. <laughs> Under Abatino's management, Baker's stage and public persona, as well as her singing voice, were transformed. In 1934, she took the lead in an opera in Paris. Oh. Um, in preparation for her performances, she went through months of training with a vocal coach. Uh, in the words of Shirley Bassey, who sang the Goldfinger song in credits, oh. Josephine Baker as being one of her main influences. Um, wow. Quote, she went from a petite danseuse sauvage with a decent voice to la grande diva magnifique.
1: Okay, now translate that for me.
0: She went from the little savage dancer with a decent voice to the huge, magnificent diva. (laughs) I love that. Grand, magnificent diva. I swear in all my life, I've never seen and probably shall never see again such a spectacular singer and performer.
1: Wow. And she was, I mean, before she got lessons, it sounds like she was kind of just doing it. Hmm? Not really with any training. Yeah, there's more to that. Okay. Okay.
0: In 1936, riding the wave of popularity she was enjoying in France, Baker returned to the United States to perform in the Ziegfeld Follies, hoping to establish herself in her home country as well. Mm. However, she was met with a generally hostile racist reaction Uh. and later in the run was replaced by Gypsy Rose Lee. Who's that? Gypsy Rose Lee?
1: Yeah, that name is familiar. She's a
0: very famous burlesque performer. Oh. The musical Gypsy is based off of her life and her mother and... All right. I'll show you you pictures of her, too. Yeah, thank you. Um, Time magazine at the time referred to her as, quote, a Negro wench Mm -hmm. whose dancing and singing might be topped anywhere outside of Paris. Uh, 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 Oh, okay. While other critics said her voice was too thin and dwarf-like to fill the Winter Garden Theater. Oh, God. She quickly returned to France, crestfallen at her mistreatment. Whatever. Yep. Upon her return, she married French industrialist Jean Lyon. And t- obtained citizenship from the country that had embraced her as one of its own. Yeah, good. She also gave up her U.S. citizenship while in doing so. Yeah. Um, that they were married sense. in the French town of Creve Le Grand in a wedding presided over by the mayor. This
1: is partially why I didn't pick her, is because I could not pronounce all of these fucking French words.
0: Well, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I can sort of pronounce them. <laughs> uh, In September 1939, when France declared war on Germany in response to the invasion of Poland, Baker was recruited by the Deuxième Bureau, which was uh, French military intelligence. Sorry. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) She was uh, recruited as an honorable correspondent, and she collected what information she could about German troop locations from officials she met at parties.
1: What is an honorable correspondent? Do you know?
0: Not specifically. That's just the title. I think that's what... So that, she was Her recruited, job title.
1: She didn't go to them.
0: Yeah. That's and what they, it sounds like. Okay. Because, and they were like, be this Because thing. she could work, you know, because she was famous. Yeah. So it was really easy for her to get into places where higher ups were and all that. Um, she specialized in gatherings at embassies and ministries, charming people as she had always done while gathering information. Mm-hmm. Her Cafe Society fame enabled her to rub shoulders with those in the know from high ranking Japanese officials to Italian bureaucrats. And to report back what she heard. She attended parties and gathered information at the Italian embassy without raising suspicion. Because people loved her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And she was a woman.
0: Well, she's a woman and, you know, she she was famous. And so they thought that she was vapid and didn't care about politics. Yep. But clearly she did. Yeah. When the Germans invaded France, she left Paris and went to her estate in the south of France. She housed people who were eager to help the free French effort led by Charles de Gaulle and supplied them with visas.
1: Whoa, wait. Ha-
0: Cuz you I think you could vouch for people.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sponsor people. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: As an entertainer, she had an excuse for moving around Europe, visiting neutral nations such as Portugal, as well as some in South America. She carried information oh. for transmission to England about airfields, harbors, and German troop concentrations in the west of France. Notes were written in invisible ink on her sheet music.
1: I love that detail. Right? Oh, my God. This paper
0: is soggy because of how hot it is.
1: <laughs> um, Just think of what Josephine Baker went
0: through. Ah, True. Later in 1941, she and her entourage went to the French colonies in North Africa. The stated reason was Baker's health since she was recovering from another case of pneumonia. I guess she probably... She probably oh. Yeah. Um, but the real reason was to continue helping the resistance. Yeah. From a base in Morocco, she made tours of Spain. She pinned notes with information she gathered in her underwear, <laughs> counting on her celebrity to avoid a strip search, which happened frequently. But because she was famous, it didn't happen because that was really disrespectful to do to a famous person. Uh-huh. She met the Pasha of Marrakesh, whose support helped her through a miscarriage, the last of several. After the miscarriage, she developed an infection so severe it required a hysterectomy. The infection spread and she developed peritonitis and then septicemia. Ooh. After her recovery recover me. After her recovery, which she continued to fall in and out of, she started touring to entertain British, French, and American soldiers in North Africa. The Free French had no organized entertainment network for their troops, I guess like the USO. Yeah. Um yeah. so Baker and her entourage managed for the most part on their own. They allowed no civilians and charged no admission. Mm. Wow. Which was cool. Yeah. After the war, Baker received the Croix de Guerre and the Rosette de la Résistance, which were two military honors. Yes, I've had, um, I have those too. Yep. Mm-hmm. She was made a Chevalier of the Légion d'Honneur by General Charles de Gaulle. Charles de Gaulle. <laughs> Charles de Gaulle. Charles de Gaulle. <laughs> Charles de Gaulle. Okay. Which an airport is uh, named after in Paris. <laughs> oh. You can go to Charles de Gaulle Airport. Well, well. There you go. So... After the war in 1949, a reinvented baker returned in triumph to the Folies Bergère. Bolstered by recognition of her wartime heroics, she saw, um, she assumed a new gravitas, unafraid to take on serious music or subject matter. Yeah. The engagement was a rousing success and reestablished her as one of Paris's preeminent entertainers. In 1951, she was invited back to the United States for a nightclub engagement in Miami.
1: Oh, isn't
0: that nice? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: After winning a public battle over desegregating the club's audience, Baker followed up her sold-out run at the club with a national tour. Rave reviews and enthusiastic audiences accompanied her everywhere, climaxed by a parade in front of 100,000 people in Harlem in honor of her new title, the NAACP's Woman of the Year.
1: I hate America. God damn it. Why? Because these are the same people who were like... No, we don't want you here. This isn't going to work out. Mm-hmm. We're too bitter about, you know, your talent and the things you're able to do. But like, because like a black she's, woman? Once she's famous and once she has done amazing things for the war, they're suddenly like, oh my God, we loved you this whole time.
0: I mean, but she still had to fight them about desegregating. But she still her. had
1: to fight them about, oh God. Okay, to be clear, I love America. I think we can be better. I feel like we have always had that potential and we just aren't filling it yet. Continue. Okay.
0: Although she was based in France, Baker supported the civil rights movement during the 1950s. Of course. Duh. Yeah. When she arrived in New York with her husband, they were refused reservations at 36 hotels because of racial discrimination. But that's cool. Yeah. That's civil. She was so upset by this treatment that she started writing articles about the segregation of uh, everything in the United States. Um, yeah. She also began traveling in the South giving talks. She oh. gave a talk at Fisk University, a historically black college in Nashville. On France, North Africa, and the equality of races in France. Wow. hmm Which is interesting. Because, I mean, France is very liberal in many, many ways, but they have a lot of rampant, like, anti-Muslim sentiment these days.
1: Yes. <sighs> and yeah.
0: Anti-immigration, like, Marine Le Pen bullshit.
1: Anyway. Yeah.
0: Anyway. Anyway. She demanded that her performance contracts contain a non-discrimination clause and that her audience has become integrated. Yes. 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 Similar to Hazel Scott. Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, her insistence on mixed audiences helped to integrate live entertainment shows in Las Vegas, like in general. Fuck yes! After this, she began to receive threatening phone calls from people claiming to be from the KKK.
1: Fuck you, KKK!
0: But she said publicly, publicly, public, publicly, <laughs> that she was not afraid of the KKK.
1: Well, she'd been in the fucking war. I mean, she'd been a spy. She slash literally had to deal
0: with Nazis.
1: Yeah,
0: and fascists.
1: Yeah, fuck you, KKK. Like anything you can bring on. Which, mm-hmm. fascinatingly
0: enough, the current KKK is also very Nazi-sympathetic and uh, also fascist. Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, this could be a six-hour-long podcast if we wanted to rant for that long.
0: It could be. Also, there's a lot of notes because I, I, I edited it, edited it down <laughs> only so much. <laughs> yeah, that's in bad. 1951, Baker made charges of racism against the Stork Club in Manhattan, where she alleged mm. she had been refused service. So she's still, even though she's super famous, is still struggling to even get service. It's insane.
1: Because if they don't recognize her, then all of a sudden she's just a a, a black person and.
0: Who exists. Who I exists. almost dropped this bottle of beer because I'm sweating and the beer bottle the is, beer sweating. is sweating. Anyway, so she made charges of racism against this club in Manhattan Uh, actress Grace Kelly was at the club at the time and rushed over to Baker, took her by the arm and stormed out with her entire party, vowing to never return. Thank you, Grace Kelly. She apparently did come back later, but Eh. it's a good statement. Yeah. To have made. Um, the two women became close friends after that incident. Oh. Um, later in life when Baker was near bankruptcy, Grace Kelly offered her a villa and financial assistance, um, in Monaco because by then she was the princess of Monaco. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. After that event, Baker then scolded columnist Walter Winchell, who was an old ally of hers, for not rising to her defense uh, in that incident. Winchell responded swiftly with a series of harsh public rebukes, including accusations of communist sympathies, which was a really huge, serious charge at that time. Oh,
1: yes, it was.
0: Yep, as we know.
1: The Red Scare. People were executed for that shit.
0: Bullshit. Um, The ensuing publicity resulted in the termination of Baker's work visa. (gasps) What? forcing her to cancel all her engagements and return to France.
1: It was so they a- retaliated by canceling her shit,
0: by deporting her basically.
1: Fuck. Huh.
0: It was almost a decade before US officials allowed her back into the country.
1: And I yeah, were so bitter about these articles that your friend wrote, we're going to make you fucking leave. Yeah,
0: because you have com- communist sympathies cuz somebody said you did. Ugh. <laughs> I know. But In 1963, she spoke at the March on Washington at the side of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., where she was the only official female speaker.
1: The only one?
0: The only official female speaker.
1: Uh, What does that
0: mean? That means other women spoke, but they weren't on the docket. Uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, While wearing her free French uniform, emblazoned with her Medal of the Legion d'Honneur, she introduced the Negro women of civil rights. Uh, Rosa Parks and Daisy Bates were among those she acknowledged, and both of them also gave brief speeches. Awesome. Mm-hmm. During her work with the civil rights movement, she began adopting children, oh. like a ton of them, forming a family she often referred to as the Rainbow Tribe. Uh-huh. Baker wanted to prove that, "quote different uh, or "quote children of different ethnicities and religions could still be brothers." She t- often took the children with her cross-country, and when they were at Château des Milandes, she arranged tours so visitors could walk the grounds and see how natural and happy her children in the Rainbow Tribe were. So I will tell you, she had twelve adopted children. Wow. Ah, uh, two daughters, French-born Marianne and Moroccan-born Stelina. Ten sons. Whoa. Korean-born Jeannot, Japanese-born Akio, Colombian-born Luis, Finnish-born Jerry, French-born Jean Claude, who wrote the book, and yeah. Noel, who was also French-born, Israeli-born Mois, Mois, Algerian-born Brahim, Ivorian-born Kofi, and Venezuelan-born Mara so Whoa. people from everywhere and she decided to be their mother cuz she had a huge house and money <laughs> yeah i mean and wanted yeah. to prove that you know racism was it's taught it's a not construct. yeah
1: yes it's not learned it is learned it's not innate natural
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, after MLK's assassination, Coretta Scott King approached Josephine Baker in the Netherlands to ask if she would take her husband's place as leader of the civil rights movement. Wow! Mm-hmm. Wow! Right? Gosh, I had no yeah. idea. Uh, but after many days of thinking it over, Baker declined, saying her children were too young to lose their mother. Because yeah. she knew if she took oh. that on, she'd be at risk of like being killed, like immediately, by the U.S. government. Like, okay, well, that makes me want to cry. Right. Um, In her later career, Josephine Baker faced financial trouble. She commented, quote, nobody wants me. They've forgotten me. But her family members encouraged her to continue performing. In 1973, she performed at Carnegie Hall in New York to a standing ovation. She was so moved by her reception in the United States that she wept openly before her audience. The show was a huge success and marked Baker's comeback to the stage. That following year, She appeared in a Royal Variety performance at the London Palladium and then at the Monacan Red Cross Gala, celebrating her 50 years in French show business. (laughs) Advancing years and exhaustion began to take their toll. She sometimes had trouble remembering lyrics and her speeches between songs tended to ramble, but still she continued to captivate audiences of all ages. Uh, In her later years, she converted to Roman Catholicism. In 1968, she lost her castle due to unpaid debts, but recall I earlier said that Princess Grace Kelly offered her an apartment in April 1975. Josephine Baker performed at the Bobino Theater in Paris and the first of a series of performances celebrating the 50th anniversary of her Paris debut. Numerous celebrities were in attendance, including Sophia Loren and Princess Grace of Monaco. But just days later, on April 12th, 1975, she died in her sleep of a cerebral hemorrhage. Mm. She was 68 years old and was found lying peacefully in her bed, surrounded by newspapers with glowing reviews of her performance. Oh, oh my, oh. Mm-hmm. On the day of her funeral, more than 20,000 people lined the streets of Paris to witness the procession, and the French government honored her with a 21-gun salute, which made her the first American-born woman in history to be buried in France with military honors.
1: Excuse me, I just, I need to...
0: 20,000 people... Because she was that important, man. Mm. Oof. One huge note.
1: Yeah, sorry.
0: I'm- and one of the main reasons why I, I wanted to do her for Pride Month. I don't know if everybody knows this, but Josephine Baker was hugely bisexual. <laughs> um, obviously she married four men throughout her life. Yes. Um, but she also had many relationships with women. Uh, during her time in the Harlem Renaissance arts community, one of her first relationships with a woman was with blues singer Clara Smith. She also famously had a brief affair with Mexican artist Frida Kahlo, Ooh. which she was cool for me to learn. Frida Kahlo is another woman I really want to do oh, for this podcast. My God, yes, um, but Someday. she but she had several other relationships with non famous women, Jesus, um, throughout her life. Uh, fuck yeah. So that's a lot of info about. The one, the only, Josephine Baker.
1: Josephine Baker. Well, and I think a lot of people maybe don't even know about her necessarily, and that's in part because she was mostly famous in France. hmm But clearly she was a resistor in multiple ways, in multiple movements, in multiple, I mean. Um, in multiple decades. In multiple decades. She- her,
0: her existence as a famous woman of color was resistance.
1: Yeah. Well and then when she was trying to come back to the United States and just like be a performer here, that alone clearly was an act of resistance because everyone wanted to deny her the the ability to even just perform to an audience that was worthy, you know, like a desegregated, non-
0: Which that was an act of resistance requesting integrated audiences.
1: Exactly. I mean that's incredible. She was a war hero. correspondent, informant, hero. hero. She traveled she, all over the place, gathering fucking in, intel and information, and performing at the and same performing time. Performing at the same time. She was
0: dealing with multiple miscarriages. Like I civil rights movement. I don't think she ever had any natural born children of her own, but she had twelve adopted children that she raised. Yeah. She was clearly an amazing mother.
1: Yeah. Like well, in a humanitarian
0: at the same time.
1: Period. Yeah.
0: Fuck. Oh God. I got a little weird. She's amazing. And we, gotta, we, gotta, we gotta watch the, the banana dance. Because it's fucking cool. Also, she's one of the first people to have been given the rights to sing the song J'ai deux amours, which is a song about like uh it's it's her life. It's um it's I have two loves is the name of the song. And it means it's it says Mon pays Paris, which means my country and Paris. Oh. I have two loves. My country in Paris. Oh, I'll play it for you. Yeah, it's good.
1: Please do. Yeah, that was fucking awesome. She's cool, right? Yeah, she's she's really amazing. (laughs) I mean, there were a lot of women at that time who were amazing because they had to be because they had to step up and do something, you know, for their country, for the world, whatever. But she really. She was incredible, and I, I think a lot of people know her name, and they don't know why they know her name. Mm-hmm. And so now some of them might, and that's pretty cool. Bam! Well done. Yeah. yeah.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. You want to tell me what you're excited about
1: this week? Um, I do, but first, can I tell you about some history? These on the stage. Oh shit! Yeah. Yes, I'm not the only one. <laughs>
0: Ha. Who forgot? <laughs> who forgot? It's yeah. this episode. Yeah, you forgot a thing. Then I forgot a thing. Yeah. This is how we've always done our goddamn podcast. Well, yeah, well, in the last few weeks, <laughs> anyway. Sorry. What on this day in history? Tell me uh, about it. Okay, I'll tell you.
1: I'll tell you some stuff. <laughs> on this day, July eleventh, seventeen forty, Jews are expelled from Little Russia by order of Tsarina Anne. I don't know anything about that.
0: What's Little Russia? I don't
1: fucking know. <laughs> this was a thing on 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 this day in history. This was a thing is that on on the like this Real day? Russia,
0: but like, or is that a neighborhood? I don't know. I mean, if it's the Tsarina, then presumably it's it's actually Russia, but it's it's probably like a neighborhood. This is kind of why I think I have to do this person because I was like, well, I know that Jews in Russia like had a really hard time for a very long time. That's probably well, a why a very they long time came to this country in droves. Yes.
1: I just thought that was a weird one, and I didn't do any research into it because I literally just did it this morning. I sweet uh, didn't have time, but it was such a weird thing that I had to mention it, and I'm going to probably do her at some point so that we can know what I'm talking about. Fuck. Yeah. So, 1892, the U.S. Patent Office says Joseph Swan, rather than Thomas Edison, invented the electric light carbon for the incandescent lamp.
0: I don't even Joseph one is. Me neither. But that's because Thomas Edison was such a fucking, he was a dickhead. He was head.
1: a dickhead. He was a shithead. Listeners, you can thank Thomas Edison for the fact that we do not currently have free Wi-Fi and free electricity. You're welcome. he's a piece of shit. And because also would just
0: electrocute animals in public just to show how electric current worked. Gross. Like of all sizes, dogs, elephants, everything yeah it's horrible he's horrible. He, horrible
1: horrible horrible we we credit him with a lot and i say quote credit because
0: he stole credit for shit from a
1: lot of people he stole credit clearly and that was one reason why i wanted to do that one because yeah, it was Joseph like, swan
0: uh, thomas edison yeah
1: yeah i mean joseph swan clearly got had something I'm to sure do with he something invented
0: it and then thomas edison thomas was, edison ooh. took credit
1: He and Tesla were, like, always in competition. And Tesla had ideas that were way better for, like... They were way more progressive. They were way more more, progressive. We would literally, like... It pisses me off so much because the only reason we have electricity as we have it now, the the whole, like, you have to plug shit in is because that was better for capitalism. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to stop ranting about that. And I'm going to go on to my next thing. 1955... Uh, President Eisenhower signed a bill requiring use of the inscription in God we trust on
0: all paper money. Wait, what year was that? 1955. Yep, McCarthy era. Mm -hmm. That was also the same era that they added um, under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. Yep. Which makes it sound super clunky. And it's because we've known it as we've known it for our entire lives that people don't realize that, you know, when you say, Oh, I have to do it from the beginning. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Sounds so much better. Mm-hmm. Yep. But now we say one nation under,
1: under God. God, indivisible, which is so weird. And it comforting. is so weird. And and, and Trumpers, you. I'm sorry, but this is this is why Trumpers love the 1950s. Yeah. It's because of shit like this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 1960, "To Kill a Mockingbird" by Harper Lee is first published. Oh, cool. Um it's a good book? Yeah. It's a it's a book. Um it's a good book. <laughs> I know I just wanted to say that to be contrary. Contrary. All right. Um 1969, David Bowie releases the single Space Odyssey. Oh. 9 days. Oh yeah. <laughs> 9 days before Apollo 11 lands on the moon.
0: Fuck yeah. I mm-hmm. didn't know that. I didn't either. Oh, David Bowie. How cool is that? R.I.P. I know.
1: I love Did you singing. go
0: see the exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum?
1: Fuck, I never did. I don't.
0: Is it still going? I don't know. I went and saw it. It's fucking cool. I know you
1: did. We're going to have to go look. We're going to have to see if it's still there.
0: And I mean, I didn't know that much about Bowie as a person because I was a, we were a Prince household. <laughs> oh, man. Prince right. and George Michael. That's fine. Um. But, yeah, no, it, he was interesting and also famously bisexual.
1: Yes. Yes, he was. If you, uh, this movie is not technically about David Bowie, but Velvet Goldmine yeah. is kind of like sort of fictionally based on David Bowie. Anyway, go do watch it. that movie. It's awesome. Go do it. Um, okay. 1977, the U.S. Medal of Freedom is awarded posthumously to Martin Luther King Jr. Fucking Finally. 1977.
0: What's too, well, but that's because the government was basically behind his assassination. I mean, yeah. He was a big threat <laughs> to the status quo at the time. They were tapping his phone. They
1: were trying to get him on something. Anyway, so many things to rant about. Not so enough time. time. <laughs> <laughs> 2007. I just, this is pandering to June you June 11th, me. 2007? June 11th, July
0: 11th, 2007. Right, it's July now. Uh-huh.
1: Harry Potter and the Order of the <gasps> Phoenix, the fifth film based on the books by J.K. Rowling, is released.
0: Oh, the movie. The well, movie. Well, Odur,
1: 2007.
0: Yeah. Which isn't long
1: after the book, I feel. No, at that point, they were kind of caught up. They were getting caught up.
0: Because the fourth book came out in 2000. And the fifth book yeah. came out, I think, in like 2002. 2000. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: My last one, 2012. Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney was booed over comments he made while giving a speech to the NAACP, a U.S. civil rights group. The comments that prompted the audience to boo the candidate were when he vowed to kill the Obama health care changes and after he stated that he would be a better president to (laughs) African-Americans.
0: Oh, Mitt Romney. I know. Except for the days, like, (laughs) I, I yearn, I yearn for a president like, a Republican president closer in ideals to Mitt Romney than what we have now. I don't know. That's the irony. That's <sighs> the, the true irony. That's kind of weird. Also, can we talk about, I know we've talked about this, can we talk about it publicly, how Mitt Romney is only one year younger than Donald Trump and how he looks so much better.
1: Good God. It's upsetting. Donald <laughs> Trump looks Donald like Donald Trump is a, a gross sack
0: p- of lard.
1: Oh. He is disgusting. <laughs> Disgusting. I know. I almost said something terrible. I'm not going to say he it. He looks
0: really terrible yeah. for his age. Like, Donald Trump is basically the same age as my stepdad, who also looks way, way better. No. Obviously. Uh, Donald Trump is the real arse face. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Donald Trump is the real arse face. I wish that could be the title of this episode.
0: Anyway. It's probably going to be something like uh, La Grande Diva Magnifique
1: uh-huh. or some shit. Except in English, because... Yeah, but put it in French cuz why not? But, uh,
0: uh, Fuck you, Hannah. Uh, 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 I took German in maybe, high school and maybe. I think French. I
1: think French is so much better than everyone else yeah. <gasps> What just <does that> happened? <laughs> I thought we were doing like a baby voice battle like voice.
0: That's <laughs> ha, the name of this episode, baby voice battle. <laughs> we need to wrap this shit <laughs> yeah. up. Um, All right. what are you excited about?
1: Um so we talked about it a little bit already, but I, I'm excited about pansy Politics mainly because they're doing episodes that are really like relevant and interesting. Uh, I'm also really excited that Glow is new as of a couple weeks ago. Oh fuck it's yeah, new. Glow season
0: two came out. Yeah, I that haven't show watched is it yet. Fucking great. As of taping, by as the time taping, this airs, you probably will have seen it.
1: You yes. So I'm really fucking excited to sit down and watch the new Glow because gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Come Whoa, the fuck on. What's a better show for good witches, bad bitches? I can't think of one.
0: Hannah and I, <sighs> I want so desperately to get the uh, Liberty Bell Funko Pop, which was oh, just released yes. from Glow. And Hannah needs to get the Zoya, to the, the Destroyer Funko Pop. I need Pop. Zoya the Destroyer. Exactly. <laughs> and it, it, they're very much for our personalities. Yes. I love her so much. And I love Betty
1: Gilpin. and I love
0: <laughs> Debbie Debbie. Debbie. And also <laughs> Kate Debbie. Nash is in that show.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I remember you made a big deal
0: about that. The last time I had to look her, who up who she was, now I know. Kate Nash, fucking mm-hmm. phenomenal British singer. Yeah. Who was apparently trying her hand at acting. And mm-hmm. she's not terrible.
1: And now everyone else knows, too. Yep. Well, well done.
0: Great. Great. Super. Awesome. I'm really hot. We gotta turn this AC back <laughs> on. I feel super delirious right now. All
1: right. Uh, rate review us on iTunes. Rate please, review us. Please, subscribe. please, please. Tell, Tell your friends to listen to this show. We would really appreciate it. Tweet about it if you are yeah, so tweet inclined. Tweet about it. Instagram and Insta. Talk Facebook. about it on Facebook. Email us. Oh, yeah, please email us. GWBBpodcast at like gmail.com. Emails. Just say hi for fuck's sake. Mm-hmm. We love it. Tell us if you've got feedback. Even if you don't want to publicly announce Be like, what hey, you, think, you guys, when you do this thing, I don't like it.
0: <laughs> email us that. Yeah, please tell don't us. Put that. it in the review. <laughs> yeah. Or do. I don't care. Just put a fucking review up.
1: <laughs> yeah, either way, we love like you. it. Peace out, witches. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you for listening. <laughs> you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher,
0: Blueberry, and more. Basically anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Mm-hmm. If you like our podcast, it would be really helpful if you could please like and subscribe, rate and review, share with your friends on social media, word of mouth, mm-hmm. all of that. great yes
1: and you can find us on twitter at gwbb podcast instagram is the
0: same and we are on facebook under good witches bad bitches podcast and hey guess what if you want to hear all of our episodes they are all up at our website gwbbpodcast.com if you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to share with us and that
1: you want us to share on our podcast at some point you can email us at gwbbpodcast
0: at gmail.com Hey guys, you know what? If you like what you hear, maybe please consider a little bit of supporting us financially by visiting our tip jar. Um, the link is in the show notes. Every little bit helps. It just kind of makes it so that we can keep this going so that it has some longevity. So just think about it. See, see how you feel about it. Or you can support this podcast directly by buying us a coffee on our Ko-Fi.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that is ko-fi.com slash podcast. Um, coffee start at $3 because that's generally the price of a fancy coffee and it just helps us keep the ship going. Good Witches Bad Bitches is produced by Moon Bounce and powered by Pinecast.
0: Boom, boom, boom. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening.